welcome to the Upper Perkiomen Community Church Podcast. Join us on Sundays at 258 Main Street, East Greenville, Pennsylvania. Refreshments at 9 a.m. Worship gathering at 9.30 a.m. Or visit us online at upcconline.org. Please sit back and enjoy our teaching time now with lead pastor, John Buckley. Last message in 1 John, 1 John chapter 5, if you want to turn there. You can grab one of the Bibles in front of you and turn to page 1305 if you'd like as well. Um, page number 1305, or if you have the Version app, the uh, outline of the passage is underneath the event section there. If you go to Upper Perk Community Church, you can follow along with the outline there, and the passage as well is listed there. 1 John chapter 5, verse number 16 Uh, through the end of the passage we're going to be going over today. I've entitled tonight today's message, Final Thoughts, because it's really interesting if you kind of backtrack here with John. John's not a young man at this stage. John's probably in Ephesus. His ministry is um, tied down physically. He can't really travel the way he used to. He's the last living disciple of Jesus Christ who'd actually seen Christ. He's the last one. He's got a lot of things that he's been trying to share as he, as he nurtured and mentored. And based on what we are aware of with this letter, it seems to be a letter that was to some of the scattered Christians, primarily Jewish Christians, that he had had a chance to either start churches with or he had a chance to minister to in different ways. Now, because of his credentials, he was paid attention to. The guy that started many of the churches he was writing to, this is somebody who walked with Jesus, heard from Jesus, So there's lots of reasons that you know that they would have listened. But I don't know, I think if we're honest and we look at life, when you're watching the last part of a movie, finishing the last chapter of a book, or even writing the last part of a note, there's usually a little different significance to that. The end of a movie might, you know, wrap up the conclusion, or the end of a book. The end of your note, you might want to emphasize some things. And so John here, as he wraps up this letter to these scattered Christians abroad, I think we want to make sure that not only are we going to see some of the themes kind of exemplified here from earlier on, but I also think we want to make sure that we pay a little special note to a gentleman who was at least in the latter part of his life, not ever knowing when that last letter is that he was going to be able to write, to a group of people that as you read the rest of this letter, he cared deeply about. He wore them on himself daily. He had a deep affection and a concern that they would be followers of Jesus Christ and do so passionately. So as we wrap up this part of things, last week Ray took us through uh, through three verses there and really took a review of the whole letter there, and he thought he did a great job taking us through that. So you're going to see a little bit of a, of a kind of carryover, because at the last part in verses number 14 and 15, you see where John's talking to them about the confidence they can have in praying to God, and that you can go to him confidently. He hears you, and he desires to answer your prayer, and that theme of prayer just seems to continue on into verse number 16 here that we're going to be starting with today. Let's read verses 16 and 17 of John chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5. And the Bible says this, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there's a sin that does not lead to death. Now, before we get into some of the nuances 
Um, this is definitely one of those messages where I had to take a lot of my time working on a couple of verses as I walk through it. But what impresses me as I first start off this section here is the wording that he has. Again, what does he say in verse 16? If anyone sees his brother. Now, I think there's a powerful aspect of just that phrase alone that we need to make sure we listen to. If anyone sees his brother. Now, not only that this is a child of God, but we're not going to approach somebody that we don't have a connection to that we don't have a permission to speak into their life because we spent time with them. He's talking about praying for folks that you know are involved in sin. And, and you just think about that for a minute, because body life, God's the one that established the local church. The local church is. And we have the kingdom of God that all believers are a part of, but we also have individuals that he calls and writes. In fact, most of the letters that Paul writes in the New Testament are to churches, bodies of believers who not only learn together and grow together, but know each other. And the only way we know each other, know how to pray for each other, is to be able to be connected with each other. It's very easy in a church setting to say, well, but nobody is reaching out to know me, and, and we should definitely be doing that. But don't ever get into that category because the devil uses that in catastrophic ways. Now think about this, if God's plan is for you to be plugged in to local bodies where you can grow and mature, have elder, over, uh, elder care, the shepherding that comes with it, the con confrontation, all those things. God's the one that decided this, to, to develop this body life. It was, this is not man-made. Now, we certainly mess up some of the systems of that. But God's the one that decided the church. His plan is the church. It's not John Buckley's plan. It's not... The elders are our church's plan. This is what God set up. So as he sets this up, this is his plan to do it. He asks us then to be a part of that, knowing that we need each other. And so if you're the devil, what do you want to do? You want to get as many people to be upset with the church, the body, as you possibly can, to keep them disconnected from the body, to get them angry with the body, resentful towards the body, always seeking a different body that's going to somehow hit all the buttons and flip all the switches, when we'll always end up with a group of people who are sinners just like me. That I need to show as much, if not more, grace to them than they show to me on a daily basis. Brothers, do we know people well enough that we know how to pray for them? If we were to start right here, and we took the first row, and we row by row, I brought each person up here and said, hey, do you know how you can pray for Mike? Do you know how you can pray for Joyce? Do you know how you can pray for Chad? Do you know how you can pray for Heath? Do you know how you can pray for Brian? Do we know them? Now, how many would have to come across the front here before you would think of one of them that you could be praying for with knowledge? See, that's what body life's about. I certainly don't expect us all to know everybody. I don't even have everybody's name anymore. I'm working really hard at it, but I still mess up. <clears throat> I even call people that have been members here a long time the wrong names. Right, Jeff Arnold? Not only do I call Jeff the wrong name, I call him his ex-wife's husband's name, which is even worse than worse on those things. So nobody's going to mess up worse than I am, okay? <laughs> and Jeff's very gracious to me, and so is Lori. What? He just answers to, yeah. Okay, whatever, just call me whatever. So you're not going to mess up worse than that. But we know people, to know their names, to know their needs, and the only way that's going to happen is be connected to them. Which is why we as a church not only have this, but you can come in and out of here, come in at 9.35 and leave two minutes before I get done preaching and not know anybody. 
coming to second hour to connect with people, two for two weekends, gap groups. And those are just things the church does. What about the stuff you can do on your own? You know, there's this thing called a phone that you can pick up and call somebody and say, hey, let's grab coffee together. Let's get a meal. Or you can text them and go, hey, you want to get together for coffee? Or you want to get together for a meal? Or email them. There's these amazing opportunities. But we can't call them brothers as far as knowing them unless we actually spend time with them so that we are aware of who they are and how we can pray for them. Now, these next two verses that we just read are difficult ones to go through. And I am not going to stand here as I share with you what I've studied, that I'm going to say that I know exactly with confidence the things they share with you are exactly what the intent of the author was. I'm going to do the best I can, but there are some passages in Scripture that are just harder than other ones to fully get your head around. And I think what we have to be willing to do, even as men up here behind the podium, is to say at times, this is a hard section. And I don't know that even with all the research, I'm going to share it the way that I really would like to with the knowledge. I wish I could call up John. John, what did you mean? Oh, now it makes sense. We have to speculate on a lot of it and do research on that. So we are a church that's focused on relationships. Why? Because the Bible is a book that's focused on relationships. So he says the verses here. Now, there's different opinions trying to discern exactly what John is saying. Now, we see again in verse number 16, as he starts out there, he says this, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. Now, we know that John's talking, first of all, about fellow Christians. This whole letter is about fellow Christians, So we need to understand that, that this context is in the context of talking to believers. It's not about praying people into heaven. It's not about praying for the saving of their souls, even. It's talking about praying for other brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, John first tackles the sin that does not lead to death. It appears that this is talking about a sin that is causing a brother or sister to be in a constant disobeying of Christ mindset. But we don't know what sin exactly he's talking about. Whatever it is, though, we can be assured that we can help sustain their physical life by praying for them to be able to break free from that sin. But then we see in verse number 17, as we continue on, I'm sorry, the last part of verse 16, there is a sin that leads to death. And I don't say that one should pray for that. Now, that's where it gets really difficult. Now, if we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 5, we see that there is a time that a person, due to the severity of their sin and an unwillingness to repent, that God will take prematurely home people physically, uh, a physical death. And then we see that again in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 30, the communion passage a lot of us would refer to it as. We're told again that there are some who die physically, physical deaths prematurely because of their sin. However, we then have to grapple grapple with that sin that leads to death that we're not to pray for it, it seems to be, this is saying here. Now, there's lots of data here, and I would love to tell you, a couple weeks ago we talked about the water, and we're saved by the water, the blood, and the spirit. That was a whole lot easier than this one is, trying to figure out the water part there. But I came down with two that seemed to be more predominant and seemed to make sense within the context of the passage, And, and here's what these are. One is that this person has lived a life, a consistent sinful life, 
and therefore it doesn't even seem that they're a Christian. Now, one person that would come to my mind on that would be a lot. The lot, we know, because Hebrews talks about the fact that his righteous soul was vexed daily, and yet when you look at the life that he lived, it certainly didn't seem to imply in any way that he was one who was a follower of Jehovah God. And he, it seems to say they're to not put much effort into praying for them because they're going to be living a shortened life as a result of the, the consistent choices that they've made in that. The other is that the person was already dead and that there's therefore no reason to pray for them because we're not going to pray them out of death or pray them out of, of, of uh, the circumstances uh, that they're in. It's, it's not clear, but I want to make sure that we don't miss the overall theme here of this passage by getting caught up on something that can be a little bit difficult to explain. And the point here that we see starting at verse number 14 and carry on is that we are supposed to be praying for, with confidence, for our brothers and sisters, and that we're specifically here supposed to be praying for our brothers and sisters that are involved in a sinful lifestyle, that they're not being obedient to what God wants them to do. So we don't want to lose the crux of that in this. And, and that was a conviction to me even as I read that because there's many times it's easy for me to lift up people who are on a bed of sickness before the Lord. It's easy for me to lift up those that have heavy hearts, struggling marriages, frustrations with their children, health things they deal with. I spend lots of time praying for a lot of those. But do I pray specifically the way I should for my sinning brother and sister that they would come to a point of being obedient to God again? And I would challenge all of us with that. What are we doing? And, and maybe as I, as I examine my heart to be completely raw, maybe one of the reasons I don't pray for them is because I'm afraid of what God will ask me to do once I start praying in that way. Lord, you know this brother or sister, and then God's going to go, oh, well, John, I'm glad you brought that one up because I need you to go. And it's like, Lord, really, God? See, that's all your fault, God, when I pray this way. No, it's all John's fault. Because when God has called me into those situations, they don't always turn out the way that I would hope they would, at least short term. But I'm always glad that I'm obedient to God in doing that. And I'm always amazed how God always, I shouldn't be amazed, but I'm still amazed how God gives you the confidence and the security, even as you're nervous about those conversations, to be able to talk to that brother and sister. But can we even start with praying for that brother or sister who's not living the way that God wants us to. So the first final thought that we see John lay out there in those verses is are we praying for our sinning brothers and sisters? The second thing we see in verse number 18, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who has been born of God protects him and the evil one doesn't touch him. Now, two thoughts in this one. The second thing that I think we can grab from these final thoughts of John is this. We are called to live to please our Savior. We're called to live to please our Savior. Our second final thought is that, as we see that, is listed over and over again in 1 John. What does he say over and over again? Hey, we're supposed to be living in obedience to what God tells us to do. We're not supposed to be living in constant bondage to sin because we are alive in Jesus Christ. Yes, there's times that we're going to struggle, but as we mature in Christ and as he sanctifies us day by day and step by step on our journey, we're going to have a new natural bent, and it's to not keep on sinning or to keep short account of what those sins are. Why? So that we can daily please our Savior. Again, verse 18, when we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. God doesn't want that. So again, this is one of those that I 
I know I talk about it a lot, but I'm, I'm, my heart is heavy for people who go, well, I just can't do that because it's just the way I was made. I can't do that because of what my, excuse me, my parents did to me. I can't do that because of the situation I'm in here. And all I'm saying to that is, have you really prayed and brought that to the Lord and said, Lord, is this really a legitimate barrier to me be, to be able to do some of the things that are in front of me? And brother and sister, I'm telling you, you'll be amazed how God gives you confidence to go, no, I'm gonna give you the strength to do that. Now, if we will keep it in mind, one of the, one of the craziest things that you're gonna find is when you're willing to do things that you humanly think are no way possible to be done is the way that God empowers you to do it, and you're gonna, you're gonna stand back. I, 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 I say it this way sometimes. First of all, let me say this. I do not believe in out-of-body experiences, okay? <clears throat> but there's times when I'll be talking to somebody and I'll hear myself talk and I'll be like, wow, that was good. I wish I could write this down right now. And I know it's not me because God has this amazing power through the Spirit of God that lives in us to be able to direct and talk and encourage and to be able to see things happen that are way beyond our human capability as we day by day walk with our Savior, as we day by day get into his word. Oh, brother and sister, I tell you this. The word of God being in you is so very, very vital. And there's so many tools to do this now. And there are some passages I know that are harder. I just finished Ezekiel. It was hard to get to the last part. It's all the measurements. Oh my goodness. I'm still not quite sure what the building looks like because I'm not a building guy at all. But I know he's very specific on what it's supposed to look like. But I can pull from that that God's a God of order. And God's got a God that has a plan, and God's a God that has specifics that he expects us to follow through on. Get in the Word. Hear the Word. you got the audio versions. you got video versions of the Bible you can, you can watch and listen to. And then, of course, just the Word of God. As much as we need to spend time with our brothers and sisters to know how to pray for them, if we're going to know our God, we've got to spend time with our God. And the only way we can do that on earth is by digging into his Word. The third thing, which is in the last part of verse 18 and in verse number 19, is this. Remember that you're safe. Remember that you're safe. Now, I grew up in a broken home. I have two stepdads and two stepmoms. I frequently struggled with feeling safe. There was oftentimes a lot of conflict in our home, a lot of screaming and yelling. There was some physical things that went on that were scary, difficult situations. There were times that we were, I was scared about the fact that I didn't know where we were going to live. I remember a couple nights stay, sleeping in our car. Now, my mom tried to make it all sound cool and things, but it was because my dad had spent all the check again on alcohol the night before, and it was some rough times. Now, as a kid, you kind of adjust to that, but I do remember struggling, and even to this day, of having that underlying, can I really be safe? Now, ultimately, we live in a world of darkness. The Bible talks about that in these verses. But in Christ, we are always in his hand. And even when danger comes and difficulty comes, he's got us. He's like a nightlight that never turns off, to give the illustration of the way children feel. Or that stuffed animal you may have clinged on to, thinking it was going to come out, somehow keep you safe. We had a dog who was a black lab. She was a little overweight, so I probably had that connection with her as a result of that. Her name was Chunka. That's what we called her, Chunka. And uh, I'll never forget, my mom and dad sometimes would be screaming inside, and I would go outside, and I was scared what was going to happen next. 
and I would grab onto my dog's neck, Chunka, and I would talk to her, and she'd look at me like she knew exactly what I was talking about, and I'd pet her, and she'd lick my face, and you know what? Those are some of the times I look back to when I felt safe. Now, that's an animal that God created, and praise God for animals that can bring comfort. But nothing like the comfort of our God. And no matter how dark the night is, I know I have fellow 2 a.m. waker-uppers, God is there in the deepest dark. Heartache for the loss of loved ones, the loss of health, the loss of finances, the loss of relationships. It's a dark time, and know that God never abandons us. What does it say here in verse 18? The second part of it. But he who was born of God protects him. And the evil one, listen to that verse, the evil one does not touch him. When Job was allowed to be persecuted by God, he had full control over everything that took place, and the devil could never fully touch Job. And God's got us. He's holding us tight. And when you don't feel like he's holding you tight, it's usually because we're trying to squirm away from him. (laughs) I think of it this way. When I look and go, where are you, God? It's usually because I haven't turned around and grabbed on because he's right there behind me. I love those verses and those words in particular. He protects him and the evil one doesn't touch him. Verse number 19. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Hey, folks, it should not surprise us at all that this world is going to get more and more evil because the devil reigns and resides in it. But those of us who are in Jesus Christ are always safe and secure. So take a deep breath. Grab a couple of securing verses and hold them tight. Know that as a child of God, the Spirit is in you and be confident that he's put you also on top of it with a group of people who can wrap their arms around you to be on this journey with you. Think of all the things God gave us to be secured. And when you pull away from the body of Christ, and when you pull away from the word of God, no wonder we feel less secure and more upset and more disconnected and more fearful because we're pulling away from the very things that God has put in place so that we can know that we're safe. Another final thought from verse 20. Excuse me. Trust in the one who's paid the price. See, if you continue on there, he just talks about the fact that the evil one rules the world, verse 20, and we know. Again, there's a confidence there. And we know that the Son of God has come. Now, when he says has come, it was that he came, he died on the cross to pay our penalty for sin, he rose from the grave, he conquered death, hell, and the grave, and he's going to prepare a place for us. He has come, continuing on, and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true or genuine is another good word there. And we are in him who is genuine in his son, Jesus Christ He is the true God and eternal life. He is the true God and eternal life. Now, folks, you want to grab onto a verse that you can cut and paste when you're starting to feel a little weak spiritually. (laughs) There's a great one right there. That's a great one. Since we're in Christ, 
then revel in his promise. You can trust Christ and rely on the understanding that he gives to you and me as his children. This is the foundation of this whole letter of 1 John. We have been saved by the Son and are therefore secure in the Father. And as the assaults come, you can trust him to not only be your Savior, but be your Lord. Let him lead you. Let him guide you. Obey him. Embrace him. The devil has the world. And so be aware, be, beware of the ability that this world has to sway our thinking, to sway the way that we live our lives, because this world's doing everything it can through the power of the devil to try to get us away from the things that God's laid out. He wants you away from the body of believers. He wants you away from the word of God. He wants you away from realizing that you have the spirit of God living in you. He wants to keep things so noisy and so hectic and so crazy that you don't even know how to turn around. And then you get into a place of apathy and despair that can lead to bitterness and anger and all kinds of other dangerous emotions that lead to dangerous actions. Now, I think it's interesting the way he wraps up this book. Because when you read it, it kind of seems like, wait a minute, why would you throw that on there in verse number 21? He says this, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Wait a minute, we had, why didn't you read on end on verse 20? I mean, it's like, woo yeah, let's go do it. God is awesome, he's the victor. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Oh, I mean, you want a lavish ending, not that, right? Now, although it seems odd, it's not odd in the context of the whole letter. If you and I are his children, then we're supposed to obey God. See, there's that final warning to not allow idols to come into your life. Now, the reason, you see that over and over again, where he says, hey, worship God, forsake evil. Worship God, forsake evil. If you're a Christian, don't sin. If you're not a Christian, you're gonna sin. He goes back and forth. So it doesn't surprise us that that's last one. And you know what? Anybody here that's a mom or a dad gets this especially? My kids love it when I say this. When they're leaving the house, I gave them this phrase, and they roll their eyes at me, and I always say to them, hey, make wise choices. Yeah, Dad. Now, they don't always listen to me when I say that, which is why I keep saying it. But it's a reminder. Why? Because I know their tendency. Because why? They're human beings. And I remember what I was like when I was their age and still do stupid things at my age. We need those reminders. Make wise choices. So it's almost as John puts his fatherly robe back on again. This group he cares and loves deeply. He goes, hey, little children. Remember he talked about that earlier? Especially those of you who are weaker in your faith, you're younger in your faith, that's the category of little children, keep yourself from idols. Now, you and I would look at them and go, wow, what idiot, after experiencing who Christ is, would go and bow before this wooden or stone idol that knows nothing? I mean, who would do that until we look at the idols of today? What can become an idol today? Even good things, right? Family can become an idol. My son Caleb, when he's, as he struggled with his mental health, there was a time that God had to really convict me because I was so concerned about saving him and rescuing him and helping him and doing everything I could to do that that I, God convicted me that I was turning my son who I cared deeply about his life, that I turned him into an idol. And I used to say it this way, or I still say it this way, I would gaze at Caleb and I would glance on Jesus. No, our gaze needs to be on Jesus and we glance at everything else. Because my perspective for how I can help my son will only be clear as I know how my Savior wants me to live my life. We can create idols out of really good things. Now, there's plenty of bad things we can create idols out of. We know those. There's lists of them in the Bible, right? 
But there's lots of good things that we can turn into idols. I mean, we're entering a season that can be a wonderful time of year, right, Christmas? It can also become an idol. So beware. You say, how do I know the difference? Be obedient to what Scripture says, and you'll know how to discern the idols that the devil tries to put in your life. It's good that God can do that. So I have a few questions I want you to consider. The first one, which of these final thoughts might apply to you more than another? Pray for your sinning brother. Are you doing that? Are you willing to do that in your life? Number two, live to please our Savior. Number three, remember that you're safe. Number four, trust in the one who paid the price. And number five, keep yourself from idols. As you look at your life, which one of those in particular is a thought that you need to cling on to in a more personal way that you can implement it in your life? The second thing, what do you want your legacy to declare? We're all developing a legacy. What do you want your legacy to be? If somebody wrote one sentence on a tombstone of what your life meant to them, what would it say? How would it be stated? And I realize different people would write very different epitaphs for us. But are we doing the best that we can to leave a legacy that above all, people would be able to say to us, about us, they loved God and they loved others? What do you want your legacy to declare? And the last thing, excuse me, will you be obedient to what he says? Now I realize, John, that's like a no-brainer, but is it? It isn't, is it? Because every day you're going to decide from the moment you wake up how you're going to obey God. Some of you are like, I'm going to get up in the morning, I'm going to get in the Word, and you never do. It's always a thought. Some of you are going to get up and you say, hey, today's the day, if if Joe gives me the opportunity, today's the day that I'm going to share Christ with him. And an opportunity opens up and we say, maybe tomorrow. Over and over again in our lives, day by day, we need to choose to obey God. What he says. So you're going to choose to do that? It's an ongoing choice, by the way, that we have to make. It's great that we have had this study of 1 John. I pray that God uses it in your life or has in a big way. Next week, we're going to start in Matthew, and we will be there a while. We'll take some breaks, but I think it's great as we wrap this up. It happened on our calendar to be right as we move our way into Christmas and uh, the holiday season. Next Sunday, we'll also have special time. We're going to have the kids up here, which is always fun to watch preschoolers put their dresses over their heads and wave and stick their fingers in their noses and all kinds of stuff. And the grade school kids don't do that, but they'll be up here as well. We'll have some special music. It'll be a great morning. Lots of family will be in, I'm sure, to be able to enjoy it with us. And then we'll have our Christmas Eve service as well. A couple quick things, though, I want to just share as we finish off and I pray. First of all, as was mentioned, I know two weeks in a row we have to move chairs. We're not going to do this again for a really long time, okay? So once it's this way, some of you that are newer to the church like, do they do this every week, like move these chairs? No, we don't. It's like Christmas a couple times, then maybe one or two other times throughout the whole year. But we need some help doing that. I also, we are a month away from our 10-year anniversary, as Ray mentioned. And we're going to need a lot of folks to help out. We're going to have to go take chair, you know, set up chairs and tables. We're going to have a full meal afterwards for everybody. It's going to be a great day, but it's in a different location. So I need all hands on deck. So if you're able to help at all, um, I would just love for you to shoot me an email or a text 
and let me know that. Uh, I'm going to put it in the weekly update again, so you can click on that and email me. But if you're able to help at all on that day, our service is going to be at 1030. Um, but we're going to need people here to make sure they direct anybody that might not be, be here. We're going to need extra help in the greeters and children's and all kinds of stuff and, and serving food. So if you can text or email me, um, you can do it right now, in fact, while I'm talking, if it comes to your mind so you don't forget it later. But we'll put in the weekly update as well um, to try to help you remember on that. Uh, and then Christmas caroling. We need to know who's coming because I need to know if I need to buy more cookies. There's a lot of really good bakers on the list, but they're only bringing two dozen each, so I don't want to run out. We have about 70 people signed up right now to go caroling, and uh, I'm really excited. We do have an indoor option if you uh, aren't good with the cold. I don't think it's going to be horrible tonight, but it will still be winter, um, and we're going to go out. We're doing a little earlier this year, too, because older folks have a tendency to go to bed a little earlier, and uh, we'll have a little more light, hopefully. Maybe not much, but a little light as we get started. 4.30 in the simulcast. For those of you that are coming, if you have cookies, you can bring them up the stairs so you don't have to worry about Pastor John sampling them. And everybody's a judge, so I don't get any criticism uh, for that. But uh, if you want to sign up, I need to know before you leave today. I have the list right up here with me, okay? Thank you, church. We love you guys. We're so grateful that we can dig in the word together. Let's pray. Father, you're such a good God. And we're so incredibly grateful, Lord, for your grace and mercy on our life. And Lord, as we've gone through this passage today, we pray that you'll use it to just uh, poke a hole where it needs to in our life, God. Or perhaps, Lord, to bring healing in an area of our life. Lord, maybe for some it'll just be a prompting to do something in their life. Lord, and I do pray, I know this time of year can be really, really hard for those that have lost loved ones, those who have difficult family situations. I know those that struggle with mental health this time of year can be really hard. Lord, those that are just alone, and I pray that our church family will be able to remind those that are here of our love, Lord, but ultimately of your love that just wants to be lavished on their lives. We pray, Lord, that you will remind us about the, the beauty of the body, the way you set it up, Lord, and forgive us for the times we fail, but motivate us today to live out those actions in a more significant way this week. Help us to take these final thoughts and apply them to our lives, we ask in your precious name. Amen.